Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hello, listeners. Thank you for tuning in to this newest episode of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and here with me is the man I'd want by my side if an AI takes over the world, my best friend and co-host, Patrick. And I would not let you down, or at least try not to. Hello, everyone. Hey, a solid attempt is all I request. As long as you try, trying is half the battle, or is that knowing? Knowing is half the battle. We try or try not do, do, I think we do. Try or try not. We do. There's no, there's no try. Oops. Oh crap! Well, whoops. <laughs> no, never mind. Okay, we're host. <laughs> short, short answers. We're host. Well, when we were looking at the schedule for this month, we saw that we had this open date, and we realized that we had never done a full episode on this animated treat from earlier in the year. And with it coming to theaters for a limited run on November twentieth and twenty first, we felt like now was the perfect time to discuss Mike Rianda's. Feature film debut, The Mitchells vs. The Machines. This is your spoiler warning. We're going to spoil the heck out of the movie, as we typically do on this show, this type of episode. So if you have not seen it, please get the to Netflix now, right now, and watch it. Or you can wait and you can go see it in the theater, which would be an amazing experience. And I'm really going to have to look hard at my schedule and see if that's something I can squeeze in next weekend, because... It is one of those movies where you look at it and you're like, man, this was so good at home, but gosh, visually, this would have been just eye-popping and awesome on a big screen. So if you can wait, you should wait and then come back and listen after that. Either way, you've been warned. Well, Patrick, this movie is one that I saw early in the year and I really, really liked it. You saw it. And you really liked it. I believe your son has kind of fallen in love with it. Am I not mistaken? Yeah, he is. It's on the multiple playlist of movies that he watches more than once. Uh, he'll queue it up and he had no issue with me or with watching it with me again for the fifth time for him. I think it was the second time for me. But yeah, this is definitely one that's on his list of, hey, this is comfort TV, I guess you could call it, <laughs> where he watches it while he plays soccer or eats or draws or something else but it's definitely on. how does he watch it while he plays soccer exactly so interesting thing he sets up a pup goal in our living room and he does Uh footwork and kicks while he has the the movie on so i I guess i'm proud of the fact that he's getting better at soccer while he's watching a really great movie i guess i could say that that's really good that's sort of impressive and also sort of ironic considering what this movie is about and how our relationship to technology (laughs) is a little overboard. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Rick, Rick would, if Rick was his dad, Rick would be like, Carson, turn the the TV off. Yeah. yeah, Turn the TV off and let's go outside play soccer with seriously toss toss around a screwdriver. Okay. Well, the Mitchells in this film by their own admission are very weird. In fact, Katie actually says in the opening narration of the movie, she talks about them and says they're superheroes, but they're superheroes because of their flaws, not because of their strengths. And they're very much a loving yet somewhat dysfunctional family. And I say that lightly because they are dysfunctional 
in a way that serves the narrative of the movie and the plot. It allows the plot to progress. It allows the characters to progress in their relationships, but they're not dysfunctional in the way that you might typically see Hollywood portray families as being, I would say, broken. And in fact, I've used the word broken when I've talked about this family before, and it's it's kind of hard to go there because you don't want that misunderstood. This is not a family that doesn't love each other or that has you know, significant issues with each other. They simply have some communication issues and they don't understand each other fully and they have room to come together, but they're not on the outs, so to speak. So I actually really like that about the depiction of the family in the movie, the Mitchells. Dad, he loves the outdoors. Rick does. He's got his Baylor sweatshirt on at one point. I found that to be a nice little detail this time. I'd love to know the background of that. I actually was reading a book about this movie today. So Netflix sends us these film critics being us in that sentence. They send us these big art books every year for a couple of different movies that they're highly promoting for award season. And these things typically are of zero interest to me. They often weigh a a lot and they have nowhere to put them. And so I, I literally have like a drawer that's full of these giant books. Sometimes if I am lucky enough to know someone in person that loves the movie, I can give it away. But usually the people that would love these movies are the people I know as film critics and they got it too. Or, you know, the book is too heavy for me to ship. Like I got one of, of Roma that's gorgeous if you loved Roma, but it would cost me you know, 30 or 40 bucks to mail it. And I'm like, I don't care that much. So anyway, point being is we got one for, we got a, little, a whole box, including this book of Mitchell's and the Machines. And it is by far the neatest one that I've come across uh, in my five years or so of doing this and getting these gifts. Uh, it is really cool. It's hardcover. It's pretty big. And it has all this information about the production of the film. It's basically like a documentary in book format. It, it has different sections for the art team and the art supervision team. It has different sections for like editors, um, for obviously for Mike, the director and the co-directors and all these different people involved with the creation of the film. And then it goes through and it has different sections on each character and each type of character, like even. So it has like the bots and then it has like the stealth bots. And then it has portions that are dedicated to the plot, like little little progressive moments that it shows. And it talks about, you know, early on in the script and how decisions were made and then has a ton of beautiful art and distinctive uh, changes in the drawings. Like one I was telling you about earlier today, how they, they mentioned that it took them over 200 drawings to nail down what Katie was going to look like because they really needed it to be important and stay their first, they said like their first 50 or hundred attempts, she wasn't standing out enough and she's the main character and she needs to be distinct. And it has an art page. It just shows like all these different, like slightly, you know, unique variations of that character. Anyway, I fell hard for this book. And so it gave me a lot of cool background. Like the fact that Miranda himself 
this is based on his family in a lot of ways. It's, it's autobiographical. I did not know that. But the parents in this film are modeled after his own parents. And uh, and this is somewhat kind of modeled after his own experience as a budding filmmaker and how he kind of clashed with his parents as he was coming up, you know, working his way to this moment where he has his own feature film. And that was just a really cool element. It added a lot of just, I don't know, that inside baseball stuff always makes a movie better, I think. And anywho, I've gotten away on a tangent when I started talking about this. My point is the book itself that I'm talking about doesn't tell me why he's wearing a Baylor sweatshirt. And it drives me nuts because I feel like there has to be a reason why this guy's wearing a Baylor sweatshirt. But anywho, Rick is the dad. He's an outdoorsy guy. He's not techie. He loves his little screwdriver and he doesn't understand his daughter's obsession with filmmaking and social media and his whole family's obsession really with just being plugged into the network as we all are these days. The mom, super optimistic. She's the glue that holds the family together. No surprise there. So many moms are. Aaron, great name for a kid, by the way. Uh, he loves dinosaurs. He's voiced by Mike Miranda himself, uh, which I thought was cool. Uh, Katie, she's the main character. She makes movies, wants to be a filmmaker, and she's about to head off to film school. And then, of course, we have their dog, Manchi, who is this cross-eyed, goofy pug that <laughs> any movie with a hilarious, kind of dumb dog is a lot of fun. Especially that final scene with Machi where he finally like forces his eyes to not be cross-eyed and he's going to save the day and then he doesn't, but then he kind of does and it's just awesome. So that's kind of a, you know, breakdown of the family for those of you who haven't maybe watched this since earlier in the year. The crux here is that they don't have a lot of shared interests and that's what sets us up, I think, for this really entertaining and impactful road trip that they go on that rick decides listen we're gonna drive our way to california to take you to college instead of having you fly and we're gonna use this opportunity to reconnect as a family because he thinks that in his mind that is what katie needs in order to for him to be able to understand her and i think it's cool because a lot of movies have this similar message patrick where Families are not communicating and they need to be able to talk something out and get on the same page. I mean, in, a, in essence, it's a coming of age story in a lot of ways. And you and I love these. I thought a lot about Lady Bird, right, where she's talking about going to college and her and her mom are just, man, it's just not clicking what Lady Bird wants to do with her life and what her mom thinks she should do. And we, we have a similar dynamic here. And so... I've talked a lot and I'll throw it to you to kind of maybe kick us off here. But what do you think works about this road trip and this way in which we approach trying to get this family back to a place where one would say is ideal, you know, operating kind of speed for everybody? What makes this work for you? Well, I'll go more general to specific in answering that question. First of all, we've got a great art style which isn't surprising coming from the studio that brought us into the spider-verse and the book that you mentioned i think it's called the art of the mitchells versus the machines it's on my wish list 
right next to Into the Spider-Verse, the art of the movie, because they're both just phenomenally animated in their own ways. You also got a lot of Scott Pilgrim versus the world stylistic stuff going on. Well, we're not doing video game stuff, but we're definitely getting more of the dialogue or the thought bubbles, things like that, that really add to my enjoyment of the movie. In fact, I love the three layers of filmmaking that we get here. We get an animation style that is the standard for the movie. And then we get the more cartoon, which yes, the animation is cartoon already, but we get the more comic book elements that accent that. And then occasionally we dip into what I would call the real world stuff. So when Katie refers to videos on YouTube, we actually get videos from YouTube, live action type stuff that really intersects nicely with the whole movie. Something else I enjoyed was the fact that we live in a Gen Z world, an iGen world. I don't know what the latest gen is that we're we're working with, but this is a generation that lives by swiping and pinching and zooming and all these things. They don't have a remote control that they grew up with or even a go to the TV and turn the channel manually, that kind of thing. So it's on full display here and it's creating this great contrast between Katie and her dad who he is an outdoorsman and it's that outdoorsiness that really just amplifies his non-techiness, which makes it a lot of fun. Whereas she lives in an iGen world. She lives in a world of digital space and she uses that to her own creativity. I loved, loved, loved this new filmmaker kind of approach where she is just creating left and right. She can't help it. And so that that got me right into the movie. But what I think works for me is that personally, this is my family. And I say my immediate family, that my wife and my son, we're a trio right now. And we have a really difficult time connecting as a family. There are things that my wife and I have in common that obviously my son's not really into or things that my son and I are really into that my wife's not connected with. And the same thing from my wife and my son. In a lot of ways, Aaron, we're very independent of each other. And that bothers me, to be honest, because I want more of that quote unquote family time. And sometimes I feel like Rick, I feel like the guy who's trying to manufacture this world of genuine family connection when it's really not there. And you can blame that on cell phones. You can blame that on social media. But the truth is, as Katie says near the end of the movie, relationships take work, especially family relationships. And you have to find those common grounds that you can really connect with. And that's where I think the film shines, is that we understand that common ground is what unites people. How that connection comes to be, I think, is where the fun happens. And in other coming-of-age stories, it can be in more common ways. It could be we're going on a road trip, we're going to deal with something. If we're going camping, we're going to deal with some of the nightmares of what it's like to camp or losing your bags to a bear or something like that. And we've seen those things play out. You know, watching a goofy movie, I felt a lot of reminders and a lot of resemblance to that where you have a father and son who are disconnected and Goofy takes his son Max on a road trip and they deal with all this junk that is 
really in a lot of ways paralleling the story. But now you have a fresh element, which is what would happen if we basically lived in a world where cell phones became the AI for us, right? And so seeing that and seeing how the family as a whole used the things that separate them to actually become the strengths that bring them together, I think that's where I really thought the movie was smart because it wasn't like Katie had all the answers. There were times when that screwdriver was necessary, right? There were times when there was a need for technology. And so by the end of the film, we didn't just get a common ground and a great use of skills. We really got an appreciation for the people behind those skills. And I thought that the movie was really well paced. We got great laughs. I, I don't think I've laughed harder or as much in a movie this year as I have watching this movie. And like you, my second watch was even better than the first because I knew some of the jokes coming up, but some I'd forgotten and I caught little things here and there. And I think it's those little nuance jokes, those little little bits here and there that allow me to just go, that was funny. I didn't, I forgot about that. But the whole movie isn't just a series of jokes. This is where I think Lord really... I don't know if Miller was part of this as well. I don't know if they're the, they were tandeming this, but I really think this is where smart writing exists, where you have a great balance of drama, comedy. It's not just joke after joke after joke, and they're digestible. So even if there's a fast scene where there's a lot of fun stuff happening, you don't feel like you're getting bombarded with one kind of genre. You're not all humor, all drama. It really does feel balanced. And so watching this family go on a road trip, which is always fun, love a good road trip movie, and seeing how they react to each other, how they deal with real family junk in the midst of something that's just completely absurd was incredibly entertaining. Yeah, I, so I agree wholeheartedly. I think the balance is phenomenal. And that stood out to me in the second watch as well, so much more than in the first watch. I I was a little bit, I think, turned off on Aaron's voice, and I let that color my entire experience, which was weird. Didn't bother me the second time at all, which is strange. But yeah, the ability for this to make little jokes as it goes, I think it's very... It's also balanced with its age appropriateness. And so, you know, your son is seven, right? Six, seven, seven, eight, eight, five, five, seven. He had hands up. Now he's on mute. Five, four, three, two, one. <laughs> eight. I'm sorry. I couldn't find the mute button. I was, I was right the first time and we went through all that. No, I said seven. Okay. No, he's eight. Yeah, yeah, uh, eight. yeah. He's eight years old. So he's eight now and he can understand this and catch some jokes and some parts of the humor. And then there are other things that he's not going to have any sort of understanding about. For example, that the dad has named their car Iron Eagle. No one, he's not going to know what that means, but we do. When they make a joke about Dawn of the Dead, when they go to this big mall that's modeled after the Mall of America in Minneapolis, that was huge for me. So he's going to resonate with just the he's going to understand the idea of needing, you know, 
needing to find things to fight off the robots that are not technology-based because the robots control technology. He's able to pick that up. He's not going to get the fact that the reference point where we've seen a movie of people doing the same thing with no technology because technology was shut off and they're going against zombies, right? But we get to like have that fun kind of reference there. And it just does that so smartly, I think. And then I really do. I love what you're saying because I think that it is about being relatable. That's number one for me above and all else, I think is because it's relatable. You're able to do that. You're able to see so much of your own family in it. I am not Rick by any stretch of the imagination. It's In fact, I'm like the opposite of Rick. But I totally understand having a daughter who's a teenager who is about to go off to a creative school. And there's parts of this that really clicked with me. So, you know, there's the one scene where everybody's at the table and they're all on their phones, of course. And he's like, I want 10 seconds of family eye contact. And that one is just a great, great scene because everybody's like eyes are popping out of their heads. And like, it really like makes you linger in the moment and, and think of it. It makes 10 seconds feel like it's hours. Right. But I've gone through this where I'm telling my kids like, get off the dadgum cell phone. But I've also been the guy who's guilty of it. And so I understand it from their perspective. And I just think that those are great relatable moments that we can all, we've all experienced. But with regards to like the daughter going off, she's talking about wanting to find her people and how important that is to her. And while I would never say that Ashlyn is quite exactly like her, and she's not nearly as boisterous or was not previously, it was very similar. She's been in college now and she was over here just weekend and we were talking and to hear the change in her and the way she talks the, and what she, how she lives her life now compared to even just earlier this year when she was a senior before she went to college, it is night and day. Like she's talking about how they have all these activities at school and they're all gamer focused and gamer related and you know, just like Katie is looking for all of these things that are related to filmmaking and creativity and those parts of her personality, I, I'm seeing it play out in real time and how important that is. And I'm also seeing how I can't fill those needs like Rick is. Like Rick wants to fill a void in Katie's life. Like he wants to connect to her, but he wants to do it in a way that is not what she wants him to, to do. It's not what she needs from him. I ask all the time, I'm like, why can I come to D&D? Like, can I come play? And she won't let me. And she she like actually showed me a meme the other day. She sent me some meme of an old guy. I think it was Steve Bushimi, maybe. And it was like him, like looking like a real creeper. And it was like, hey, little kids, can I come play or something like that? And she's like, this is you, dad. And I was like... <laughs> Wow. It's so rude. I want to go play like wow. Legend of Zelda with your friends. <laughs> but but like I, but that's not what she needs from me anymore, right? That's not the connection. That's she has her people for that. And she has other things that she's going to get from me that show that love. And so I, I really resonated with really both sides of their struggle and how they were just 
not quite connecting, but it was they couldn't communicate these things to each other. But it was always obvious that they both loved each other. Yeah, it's one of those things when you watch it, you appreciate the fact that the filmmakers show both sides sympathetically. And I think what did it for me, which is I could be Rick, absolutely, in that there's going to be a point when my son gets old enough that he's not going to need me. He's going to take the car or he's going to get a ride because I don't know if we're going to let him ever drive. But we're going to he's going to have this life that's not going to involve us. And if I could compare it to your relationship with your kids, I mean, I've known your kids for years, hung out with them several times, and they have always been from my perspective, connected to you in a really tight-knit way. So to hear you say, Ashlyn doesn't need you in that way anymore, I think is really profound because that's a hard thing to let go of. I have a son who wants my attention, and there are days when I don't want to give it to him because I'm selfish and because I want to do other things. And so movies like this remind me that I need to make sure to maximize that, find some connective tissue with him, Right now it's soccer. He enjoys me being on the sidelines coaching, but there are times when I just want to be his dad and it's conflicting because if I'm his dad, I'm not on the sidelines coaching him, but I'm definitely his number one fan. And so when you watch a movie like this, one of the things I thought was really special was we got to see a little bit about Rick, that he has a backstory, that there's a reason why he's an outdoorsman, that he has a creative side to him that she doesn't see or doesn't know about or she's forgotten about. I mean, she was a baby when he had to sell the cabin and the artifact of the moose becomes so much more significant. So being able to appreciate that, I think it's important for me to appreciate the things that my son brings to the table. But at the same time, I can appreciate the fact that the movie also sheds light on the fact that as an adult, we have a past too that our kids can appreciate as well. And so Aaron is showing me a moose. I, I'm assuming that came from your press kit, which really just further makes me mad that I live in it's Arkansas. It's so awesome. Isn't it? Isn't it awesome? They sent us the moose. <laughs> it's just so, just so awesome and so frustrating. And you know where I have him? I have him on my mantle sitting right next to the Funko Pop of Aaron L. White from Feel and Film that my kids made me one year. Oh, that's awesome. That's so Perfect. good. <laughs> I'm surprised he's not sitting on your dash of your car, you know, so he can always be with you. But I, I think that the movie is very observant and very aware of the fact that this isn't just about a kid who's frustrated with her parents and her parents find a way to connect with her or her dad specifically that it's really about her making that move as well to understand her dad and so that mutual validation that mutual value i think is it's more apparent in a movie like this so you take a movie like hearts beat loud and it's clearly about her and how he's dealing with, you know, her dad dealing with the grief of losing her. There is growth for sure, but it's really her journey just as you know, more than anything else. A movie like this, it's equally about Katie and Rick both going on this journey together 
with their, you know, his wife and her brother along for the ride. So seeing the whole family kind of come together and seeing the fact that she does have her people in college, but that she refers to her family as her people as well. It's not clear to me that she makes a distinction of like, it's now this or that. I think it's both. And I think it's exactly what you mentioned that she's finding what she needs in new ways from different places. My son's not going to need me in the way that he needs me right now, but I don't think he'll stop needing me either for a check for college or for a a gentle embrace. It's going to be something that a son is always going to need from his father, just like a daughter is always going to need from her father. That will change, but the need is still going to be there. And I think that's what's really special about this movie is that that doesn't change. Maybe the method does, but the outcome doesn't. Oh, that's really good. Yeah, you're so right. I mean, it's it's also, you know, kind of in line. There's one point where Linda, who is a font of wisdom, again, as most moms are in the film. And Rick says something that I think is so easy for any father ever to resonate with. And he says, I don't want to see her get hurt. It's simple and it's honest. And Linda says, getting hurt is part of life. You just have to try and understand where she's coming from. And I I don't care how many movies it's in. It will always be meaningful when that thread gets addressed because it's hard. It's hard to accept no matter how many times you see it in a movie or somebody tells you it's difficult. Like Ashlyn has her first real boyfriend right now. Kind of. It's weird. Hopefully she's not listening to this. It's a strange relationship to me. I don't fully understand it. It's not how I would have a relationship. Right. Rick tells her at one point, he's like, you could experience things a whole lot better without that camera. Eyes are nature's camera. Because his perspective is, this is the better way to experience life. If I was the one deciding how her romantic relationship was, it would not be the way that I see it right now from my limited view, admittedly. But that's not my job anymore. (laughs) It's not Rick's job. And it's so hard to get there, to understand, be like, I have trained up my child in the way she should go. I have to trust in that. I have to be here no matter what, if she stumbles or if she needs me and I have to be supportive and I have to understand her and, or them kids, him, Katie, I'm kind of going back and forth here, but like, but those elements of a real relationship are so beautifully woven into this story throughout. And I love it. I just, I love that their miscommunication problems they never result in like hatefulness or, you know, so many movies would turn this into something just absolutely cruel in the way that Katie treats her dad. Like, Oh, I can't stand you or whatever. And it's not like that. It's just a, it's a frustration, you know, it's not anger. It's just frustration. And she tries throughout the movie. She even makes attempts, you know, like when they're in the mall and she says they've been arguing about how, or I guess they're in the cafe and they're arguing about, you know, should we stay here? Should we go? And she says, Rick Mitchell taught us to be bold. <laughs> and that's what they are. It's their bold. I also love the brief appearance of the posies. So I wanted to mention them. 
Those are the Mitchells next door neighbors who are the quintessential, I, I saw the term used Pan-American, which I believe is like a multi-ethnic family is the way that it's what that maybe, or maybe it's, uh, there's an Asian American um, ethnicity to some of the characters there, but they're like your perfect kind of Californian family, right? And they have this perfect existence according to their portrayal on Instagram. They have the perfect dog. They have the perfect, ver like their daughter likes dinosaurs too, but she's not as chaotic and crazy, it seems, as Aaron is. And I think that they have like a really cool moment when they come in and you can tell that this is a family that even Linda herself, with all her optimism and her her joy, has probably struggled with comparing herself to. She makes a great line somewhere in the movie, I forget where it is, about, oh, she says, I guess we're not the worst family of all time. Take that Kentwood community Facebook group. Now, I have not experienced this, but my ex, who I'm close with, and the kids, they moved into a new house several years ago in a new development. And so they have one of these things, these Facebook groups for their like little neighborhood. And I have been told, so I've tangentially experienced and heard all these stories about these things. And so that's another like very relatable thing for people, I think, is to, you know, see this family that you interact with when you're on walks or, you know, out in the yard or whatever. And you see them in your Facebook community group and they have they put this perfect social media presence out there. They look like they're they're this ideal unit. And it's really hilarious because they even in that <laughs> great scene where they're the uh the robots show up and they're like leaving they like do this awesome like get together where they they huddle up and they're like one two three i love you and then they jump out of the car and they kick zombie butt real quick to get in their own vehicle or they jump out of the window to get in their car and jim yells family first as he jump kicks a bot in the head and they get in the car and drive they're like literally so unrealistically perfect but linda realizes like that's not what i have to be and you know and i think that's something that so many people experience in real life i think so too and social media definitely fuels that what i think is ironic is that the mitchells are the people that do not get captured and sometimes being messy is what keeps you out of trouble Oftentimes, one of the things that I saw from the movie was that the reasons why the Mitchells were not getting caught is because they were unconventional. And if you put, if you think about a family that's perfect, you're putting them in some kind of box, like they either all do this or they all look like this. And sometimes the messiness of your life is what keeps you in a place where people are continuously guessing. And I don't know if that makes sense, but I think that says something pretty beautiful about the fact that individualism, the ability to be different, not because you're trying to not be the same as everybody else, but you're just being your own people or being your own family or being your own individual. That's what creates a sense of genuineness. It keeps you from being so monotonous. I mean, take Katie's video essay to get into film school. I mean, she talks about, we hope that you've enjoyed watching my 29 short films and all this other stuff. I mean, 
that if that's the end of the essay, Aaron, I would think that that's probably going to stand out. I mean, if we look at L. Woods from uh, from uh, oh gosh, now I can't even remember the movie, but uh, she becomes a lawyer. She's this blonde girl, Reese Witherspoon, legally played, blonde, legally blonde, right? She stands out because her video essay is completely different from every everyone else's, and you see the the boardroom people talking like, "No, we're not doing this." But like, no, she's she's different. She definitely stands out, and I think it's that kind of thing that allows the Mitchells to be successful in their journey to get to this digital layer that they have to take down. I think it's why they are not being caught because they're not doing what everybody else is doing. They're not beholden to Wi-Fi. They're not believing the lies. I mean, you've got Rick who sees through all the nonsense of what these robots are saying. Why? Because he's not in that world. He's not clinging to Wi-Fi. He's not clinging to this whole notion of I have to stay connected to my device. And it's because of that that he can lead his family down this path. Now, does he have his own flaws? Obviously he does. And this is where the rest of the family comes in to use their own strengths to help fill in those gaps that he has. And that's why I think as a family, they work so well. But I think it's a beautiful picture of the fact that, you know what? They keep the world guessing. Why? Because they're not the typical family. They're so chaotic and so abnormal and so just whack-a-mole that they're entertaining. But they also create this really great strategy of not being able to get caught. Oh, definitely. Definitely so. And oh, I also love that Rick and Linda are not having any issues at all. Like she is fully supportive of him. He acknowledges her importance and her intelligence at every turn. I love this. There's a great line towards the end. I think right around the time they're about to embark on the big fight. And he says, you're right. You're always right. And she responds, I know. Why is this news to you? And it's just like, that feels like such a line that you would say to your own wife, right? Not me, but like literally you. Like I could, <laughs> I could see you saying that to Krisha and Krisha responding with, yes, I know. Uh, what took you so long to catch up? Hello. So, <laughs> yeah. Home? Like fly. Come on. <laughs> right. it's, uh, but yeah, I, so I just, I really like all the relationships in this movie and the way that they connect. It's so sweet. The, 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 the sibling relationship is great too. It reminded me of Ashley and Tyler because famously to anyone who knows us, my kids are like best friends or were, you know, growing up until Ashley left the house. They were inseparable all through their toddler years. They didn't fight. They, they were their best friends. And you get a lot of that from Aaron and Katie. They're, they're much, you know, more separated in age, but early on, it's great when they're in the car and Katie's like, okay, I'll like learn to drive the stick shift. And, and Rick is through the roof excited. Like he's, this is what he's wanted to do, you know, teach her to drive the stick. And she's trying to respond and you see Aaron with like paper and he's like flipping it. And he's like reading, he's like, read these words. This is what you should say. I just thought that was so cute. And he finishes it with end scene. Like it's an end scene. Because, yeah. because that's her language though. Yeah. yeah. That's what, like he gets her and she gets him. Yeah. And, you know, shortly after that, she's like, well, nobody here likes dinosaurs, you know, right. and it's just their relationships. You just, they're awesome. They're so 
neat in their own skin. And even they even help change the robots. And I'll use this to kind of segue, but there's a point where what Eric, I think it's Eric and Deborah bot. <laughs> I remember their stupid names. Um, but I was reading in that book. And one of the things Mike uh, Rihanna talks about is he said that that concept of those two bots that were helper bots and didn't want to be destructive bots was one of the very earliest parts of the script and it just never changed. He's like, they basically, they we created them and they stayed the same with maybe 10% deviation throughout the whole story development over many years because that was just a critical part. And he said they have some of the best humor lines in the whole movie, which I agree with. But one of them is, one of them's talking about Rick and he's like, red face anger man can change your programming but like you know it's inspirational is what the point of that is is when you see someone who can acknowledge that they can change in order to better relate and communicate with their family that is inspirational and it it makes you believe that you could do the same i guess even if you're a robot but speaking of robots, so the crux of this movie, you know, the the thematic heft of it is all in the family stuff. But the backdrop for all of this is this setting of a robot uprising that is led by a Siri-like cell phone assistant called Pal, clearly modeled after Pal. And it is voiced by Olivia Coleman, which I believe is an absolute aces performance and choice. I do not know if this would have hit nearly as well with a different voice for that. I think there's a million ways that could have felt generic, but you're taking an Oscar-winning actress that is known for like very dramatic roles or period piece work, and I just think she is phenomenal as the voice of this thing. And Pal is somewhat sympathetic, which makes for a great story, because Pal was about to be made obsolete by the creator Mark, who wanted to upgrade and create these new robot pals who basically were like your cell phone, but with arms and legs that could do more things for you. And so Pal does not like this and she feels hurt. She feels like she's just being discarded because somebody else is better than her. And so her response to this is to lead this uprising and try to subjugate the human race by collecting them in human fun pods. Another fun fact, apparently that used to be like prison or something. And they were like, realized, I think it, they said Lord Miller. That was one of the things that they told them. And they were like, no, like you gotta, this is too dark. We don't want to go this dark in this movie. You know, we need to keep it light. And so then they created this concept of human fun pods, which I love. So anyway, we have these robots who are taking over and collecting all of the humans up. And there's a great commentary throughout about our reliance on technology. And it interweaves really well with just Katie's creativity outlets and how they're based in technology and how Rick is so staunchly against it. And then how they have to use those talents and how they have to gain a talent in Rick's case in order to help fight off this big event. And so I wondered like how this played for you. Did it ever feel it's very self-aware 
And sometimes that can be too much of a problem. Like a movie can be too wink, wink, nod, nod to be enjoyable. I didn't have any problem like that. I thought it was super fun the way they reference things. Again, because it's so relatable and a little bit silly, it's one of those things where you can laugh at it while simultaneously going, maybe there's some truth to (laughs) what this is showing me. And uh, maybe there is an issue with me trying to, you know, perfect something to help me out that's not real instead of relying on my human relationship. So yeah, how did this all play for you? Well, I agree with everything that you're saying. It's definitely a commentary on our reliance, dependence, codependence of technology. What I think is great about it, though, is the fact that when you take inanimate objects and you have them sort of make commentary against the human side of things, that's when things get really fun. And one of my favorite scenes is when Pal is talking to Mark and she's essentially reinterpreting, here's how it feels to be a cell phone. You swipe, you pinch, you zoom, and <laughs> she's doing this to his face. You're getting cheese dip all over your yourself. The great technology that we have and you don't even call your mom, you know, who birthed you. It's such a great just beratement on how we are we take technology and we just continue to use it for selfish gain. Look, I fully confess right now I am slightly addicted to YouTube shorts. Like if I have some downtime, I'll queue up YouTube, go to shorts and just scroll, just scroll for 15 minutes. And I have to really catch myself because while that can be entertaining and while it's only for 15 minutes, when I find myself thinking about it, like, ooh, if I have some downtime, maybe I should go over to YouTube. No, I don't need to do that because that's not how I need to think. I don't need to think about when I can connect with my phone next because I'm the guy. I'm Rick. I'm like, I need people off their cell phones. When I go on a date with my wife, I don't want the phone on or anywhere near. Early on when my son was born, that was the excuse. We want to have the phone near us just in case something happens. He is at a place right now. He can spend the night somewhere. He's not going to be calling us. And I have my phone. And so that is a huge turnoff for me. But at the same time, I have to check myself and get my plank issues, you know, calling the, you know, pointing out the needle in my wife's eye. I have to think about the big plank in my own eye and say, wait a minute, how much time am I actually spending online? What am I actually checking? Am I going through Twitter and just kind of feeding myself all the the punditry of what's going on here, checking sports scores or whatever it is? And a movie like this calls attention to that in a way that is not preachy. It's aware. And it reminds us that personal connectivity doesn't have to be threaded through the line of a digital space that we can talk to one another. Obviously, the great moment at the dinner table, having to take 10 seconds out of your life (laughs) to look at each other and forcing that is a great example of it. But there were also some other times that I thought really did make use of how technology is either a component of a relationship that that helps it work, it helps you connect, or it's one of those things that just 
isn't necessary. Like when Rick says, hand me your phones. You know, I'll give them back to you in just a minute. And he stomps them and then he hands them back to them. Watching that and then watching, I think it was a scene either two scenes later or shortly after that when Pal turns off the Wi-Fi. Like, I think that moment gets at where we are right now. If the Wi-Fi is turned off, all hell breaks loose. What are we going to do? And my son is a great example of this. He gets so frustrated when he can't watch his show on his tablet when we go on a trip. And so what does he say to me? Can you turn on the hotspot? Because he knows my cell phone has a hotspot. And I say, I go, man, I wish I hadn't told him about the hotspot because I don't want to give him that option. And I think this movie really has a lot of fun with that. But it's also a gentle reminder that if we're so dependent on something that could go away at any time, what is that saying about us? I think about the movies that you and I purchase for our digital library. What happens if Voodoo decides to just go under tomorrow? If they just say, you know, we're, we're not going to do this anymore. Well, what happens to all those movies that we've put money in? I, I get really mad. <laughs> I, I would too, right? Because we have a, we have an, we have obviously a financial investment, but there's something neat about having a curated library of movies that we both like. I mean, what started out as, a handful that came from a personal account, we said, you know what, we're going to make this our own. We're going to purchase some things here and there. And it's become something that's been really wonderful. And anytime we cover a movie, the first thing we do is look in Voodoo. Do we have it? Oh, we don't own it. Okay, let's get that. Or let's find it somewhere streaming. But our dependence on that really kind of opens up more conversations about the value of physical media. And that's a whole different discussion. But I think the film does effectively tell that message. It doesn't preach it, but it effectively teaches that message that at some point we have to be able to let go of our technology if for no other reason than just to say that we can and that we're able to. Yeah, I mean, it is not the first movie to address people being slaves to technology. But it certainly is one of the best and the most balanced, again, at being able to do that both for adults and kids. There's that great joke in there. The world is dead. To restore order, we must sacrifice to the Wi-Fi. And I literally cringed because I was like, oh, my God. I would consider that. Like, you know, like, I mean, obviously I wouldn't. But internally, if I'm being honest with myself, it's that big of a deal. If the internet goes down, I could be on my way home from work, find out that the power is out and it has nothing to do with a lack of heat or a lack of light. My first thought is, ah, I can't use the TV. I can't use the internet. Like, what if my phone dies? And then I can't use my phone. Like, I guess I'll just not go home. I'll go somewhere else that has those things. That's ridiculous. I, like that's being a slave to connection, right? And the more we are connected to those things, like I am, I am definitely guilty of the sports thing. Like I'm constantly checking scores or social media, you know, interactions, et cetera. I've made an effort to limit those things at times and I've always been better for it when I did. 
but that's the heart of what we see here. And of course, the thing is, like, it always comes from a good place. When Mark created Pal, his desire, he says at that conference, is it's a smart digital personal assistant to be a smarter member of your family. The goal was to be a part of the family that could help you optimize your time spent together. But it's not what actually occurs and it evolves, right? And it becomes something else that takes away from that experience instead of enhancing it and making it a better experience. And so I just think it really does handle all those things so well. Um, yeah. I I love the design of the robots. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you, I, I thought there's a simplicity to them that I think is great. Um, Deborah bot and I think, is it Deborah bot and Eric? I, I hope I I'm it, getting those names right. I, it's, I think it's, Yes, it's Eric. Sorry, I was thinking Eric or Rick. It was one of those. Two. Yeah, I mean, Rick was Eric that. and Deborah Bot. Their faces apparently were drawn by Mike Rianda, and they said that those are like the first faces he drew on them. The scribbles he just scribbled those faces down, and they went through a bunch of iterations. They even had their kids like take a stab at creating different faces for the robots, and ultimately they decided that his were the perfect terrible drawings, and so. He was like, I won by being horrible at art. Um, but like, <laughs> that's actually his drawing, which is cool. But I love like the simplicity of the robots and how sleek they are. To me, they look very much realistic. Like that appear that would be something we would in the next several years have as an option. I mean, we already have like Amazon with little robots. I don't know if you've seen them. You probably don't because you're. I don't know if you have as in Arkansas, but we have robots that deliver groceries now. They literally drive around with grocery bags. I am not kidding you. And they up to your house and they drop them off. No. I'm not kidding. No. It's insane, right? <laughs> no. I saw a tweet from one of my friends today that ran into one and she was like, GD, I am not moving off the damn sidewalk for a robot. This stupid Amazon delivery thing just ran into me. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, they, they're out there. Uh, and so, like, we're moving that direction. And I think this is the right design that it would look like. And I think we would probably embrace it open with open arms, just like they do in all these movies that go wrong, yeah. <laughs> despite all of these, you know, great cautionary tales. But I also really love the design of the stealth bot, I got to tell you, because it looks like Black Manta from Aquaman. I cannot separate it. Every time I see it, I'm just like, oh, it's so freaking cool looking. I would have loved even more from those guys. Yeah, I... I think the the design is is the simplistic nature of the design is what's appealing. And I think because it makes sense that it's the next iteration of this technology, it reminds me quite a bit of the British a Channel 4 produced show called Humans about these AIs that it's really a fantastic TV series. I think it's on Amazon Prime right now, but in the intro to that series, it walks you through for the opening credit. It's a really great title sequence because it shows you how we went from non-human looking robots to the humans that we see in the TV series. And one of those iterations looks similar to the robots that we get in this one because they don't have faces. They're nameless. They're faceless. They're they're not sentient necessarily well i mean they're not sentient here they're programmed 
they have different programs and you can change your program apparently. But what I found really interesting, Aaron, is that they are very clean looking and they have simple functions. My son pointed out when, when Mark was showing them off as we were watching it this time around, he said, that's just lazy. When he talks about people and why we need robots, they don't need robots. That's just lazy. They're just getting them to do that for him. He has no idea because we, you know, I guess he doesn't know that the, the dish fairy does his dishes for him or the lunch fairy makes. Oh my gosh. You know, and no, but he made a great observation that we don't need robots to do basic things for us. We don't need robots to clean up for us or to make us meals. And he's right. But we are dependent on something as kids. We're dependent on our parents until we learn how to do it. And I actually followed that up by saying, you're right. We don't need robots, but we do need each other to be able to get things done around the house. That's why I ask you to do things. That's why your mom and I ask you to make your bed every day, to brush your teeth, to do these things that we should expect you to do now without us asking because they're part of keeping you healthy and keeping the family intact. Uh, socially or hygiene wise, we have dishes that need to be put in the dishwasher. That's why we ask you to do it. That's why we ask you to feed the dogs because they need food. Could we do it? Absolutely. But they're a part of this family as well. We need you to help out like that way. So in other words, you're kind of a robot. You know, we're programming you to do certain things that will hopefully be character building. But it was a really interesting moment to to hear him make that observation because he's right. We don't need robots, but we do need to be able to function in a way that those things get done and they're done through that family community or family unit. Absolutely. Oh, I mean, and it's it's an understanding, too, that all technology is not bad. Our usage of technology, our obsession. Mark even says that at the end of the movie when Rick shows up and is kind of rescuing him or whatever. And as the creator, Mark is the guy we're talking about. He says, it's almost like stealing people's data and giving it to a hyper-intelligent AI as part of an unregulated tech monopoly was a bad thing. <laughs> and Which is a phenom- one of my favorite yeah, lines in the movie. It's a great line. And Rick says, yeah, that wasn't your best thought. That was- but, <laughs> but what you built helped my daughter do that. He's pointing to the videos that she mm-hmm. makes. He says, might not be all bad. And that's it in a nutshell, right? Right. It's important to limit. It is important to use cautiously and to value human interaction first and foremost. Yeah. And I just love that. I was going to say that when you think about technology, there's a fine line between use and abuse. And one thing that I have kind of learned throughout my faith journey is that that's kind of how in our faith circles we describe sin. Sin is essentially taking the good thing that God created and manipulating it for our own selfish gain. And I think technology can be described that way. The internet is a wonderful thing. It's a fount of information, but within that information comes misinformation and persuasive misinformation. And we can find ourselves in an echo chamber of thought that doesn't allow us to really get a diverse set of 
understanding about any given subject. And Rick is right. We can take the technology and do something beautiful with it, but at the same time, we can also make it awful. You know, the technology that created the atom bomb, the result was terrible. But the technology lives on and it's done some pretty incredible things. And so I think that that's a really important message that if we walk the line between use and abuse, that can be pretty dangerous. And so we have to know what that line is and know what we're doing that keeps us from actually stepping over that into the world of abuse, especially when it comes to technology. Absolutely. And my all I was going to say there at the end was just I was going to bring up Furby because I think the Furby was one of the best, most surprising moments in this thing. It happens during that Dawn of the Dead mall sequence where they're trying to find sporting goods to use instead of electronics. And you see the Furby and you see all the Furbies. And then you see this. What, what I can only imagine, I hope does not exist. This gigantic, massive Furby. And it's just hilarious because they all come out and they're like, we must have vengeance. Summon the elder. And it says world's largest Furby on it. And it says, I will avenge my fallen children. The pain only makes me stronger. Begin the dark harvest. And I was just dying. I mean, I like double over laughing during this section both times I've seen the movie. I will so never go funny. to a mall again. I will just never go to a mall. And Not if there's a Furby, man. No, and, that's, and that's probably like, so that's another like brilliant part of the writing and the creation of this is where like Furby. I can see this scene being fun for somebody who has no clue what a Furby is just because it's visually interesting and the the language and the stuff. Like, but it, it works for kids, even if they don't know what that thing is, because it's a big, terrifying, giant fur baby monster cute thing. But for us who grew up with these things, it also works in a very unique way. And so it appeals to both demographics and and that's hard to do it is hard to find things that work so well uh, and they just did that over and over and over throughout this whole movie it's so done so well done i'm gonna side with rick here why would you put any kind of technology in a tennis racket there is no need for that that is just crazy <laughs> are you kidding me i mean rick i'm with you dude i mean tennis rackets don't need technology you don't need a smart racket i mean you're the smart guy. I was going to say, I kind of like a smart smart racket. Be kind of cool, though. I, Tyler had a basketball, or no, a soccer ball I got him one time that was a smart soccer ball. And it, like, gave me all kinds of, like, telemetry data. And, it, I mean, I, and they make them for, like, basketballs, which I think would be really cool. I don't know. There's something. Uh, I'll see. But, right. then, but then it's going to grow a Wilson face and then come after him, like, attack him. Like <laughs> and then it's going to smack me. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Well, I do want to just briefly, you touched on the animation and how important that is early on at the very beginning of the episode. And it's amazing. It is so vibrant and exciting. I think Lord and Miller have a way with helping to craft these worlds, whether it's the Lego movie world movies, um, whether it's Spider-Man. And then now this Sony animation 
is setting itself apart and it's telling stories that are different than Disney and Pixar. And they not only dis- different, like in the way the storytelling is taking place, but different visually. And I love that. I want our animation studios to feel unique. I love that Leica Studios stands out. I love my anime movies because they stand out. And I like all of these things. I love my Disney and Pixar, but I don't want everything to be copies of them. And so Sony has really carved itself a niche. Whereas I think sometimes DreamWorks definitely did not, right? There's a couple other studios in there that just make what feel like a very generic style of animation that doesn't stand out to me. But this does, and I, I love it. It's a big draw, but not only is it visually interesting, it's visually interesting because it should be. And it is part of the storytelling. And that is really awesome. One of the things Rianda wrote in this book that I read today, he was talking about Katie Vision is what he called it. And he was saying, we are telling this story through her eyes. And she has these creative technological tools that no generation before her has ever had. She can write, shoot, direct, animate, and edit content on her own, like on the go. These homemade videos and social media posts of hers help make us feel closer to the character. And so by integrating her narration and the making of these posts and these videos throughout the story and letting it kind of flow, it's not only funnier and more interesting and appealing but it directly ties into that character and the personality and the story that person's creative outlet and i think that's part of what makes this movie special and what sets it apart from other storytelling is it's not just there because it's a cool unique style of animation that they wanted to try and they were going to do it no matter what the story was it is totally tied to the fact that this is our POV and this character and this is what she's into. And it's really, really awesome. And it makes going back through it with that art book, you know, a big treat too. Whereas I normally would just be like, oh yeah, those are good visuals. But this, it makes it, makes me want to know more about how they mix 3D and 2D and Mm -hmm. all these different filters and cool effects and stuff. And yeah, I I think it's just really outstanding. So I guess in some ways you could say that among the studio families that exist, Sony Pictures is kind of like the Mitchells in that they stand out because they're different. So little meta there, a little meta. And I think that there's a pretty good. It's a very true statement. I, I, I love that you pointed out that Sony Pictures is doing different things like a studios is that same way. And you use style to support story as opposed to taking a style and wrapping a story around it just so you can show that off. I think that that's equally, if not more important to be able to do that because something can look really good and the story can be blah. And you can say, well, that looked great. I could probably put any of those things on my wall as art, but I'm not going to go back and revisit the movie again. That's not the case with a movie like this. It's so rewatchable. You can get so many different things out of it. And Katie Vision, I think, is such a fantastic way to walk us through that story. 
like even as you go through multiple times, you want to look at the tertiary squibbles and words here and there of how, you know, what pops up on screen. If it's like a little piece of dialogue or a little word here and there that helps accent what she's thinking or what she's saying. It's all just really great to look at, but you're already sold by the story. So it just becomes more added fun. And if you guys have not already guessed, we want you to get your hands on this book because it's really good. It sounds like I think if again, if it's the same one I'm seeing on Amazon, then I'll definitely be adding it. it tomorrow. I'm assuming it is. It's like a, it's a pretty, it's like a wide rig rectangle. Yeah. Is it called the art of Mitchell's and the machines? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. Yeah. Mitchell's, Mitchell's versus the machines. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Pick that up when you can. That's going on my wish list. Hopefully it'll come in the form of a Christmas present, either from a relative or from myself, just depending on how badly I want to get it and how soon I want to get it. But yeah, the animation style is, is top notch. Maybe your cell phone will send it to you as a gift. Let's not joke about that. No, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take my cell phone off its charger and I'm going to apologize to it for everything I've done over the last three years that I've owned. Like I feel bad. Calmly reaching over and powering things off. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Airplane mode is not enough guys. Turn it off completely, right? <laughs> we can't even wake up by ourselves anymore. We don't have alarm clocks. Like our technology is, I mean, it, it's wild. Just if you ever, don't ever, you'll you'll freak out if you stop back yeah. and like think about all the things that are controlled. But yeah. My bladder is anyway. my alarm clock in the morning. So it's just That's little, a good little FYI for you. Very natural. Rick would approve. <laughs> that might be too much information for our listeners, but there it is. I just said it. Well, that's going to do it for us for this episode, man. This was fantastic to talk about. We hope that if you haven't seen it yet, hold off. Try to find a theater and go watch this on the big screen. But if you can't, hook yourself up with Netflix. If you don't have it, I'm really surprised if you don't, because it seems like everybody and their dog has Netflix or at least is borrowing somebody's account. You don't get into that. But anyway, find a way to watch it because it's just a fantastic story. And hopefully you haven't listened to our conversation yet. If you're at this point, you probably have and you've probably seen it. But anyway, rewatch it, watch it multiple times, get the book, immerse yourself in the world of the Mitchells versus the machines and just enjoy yourself because it's a fantastic movie. One of my favorites of this year. And we hope you've enjoyed the conversation as we have. As always, it's been fun. It's been great. And we will talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at Film, or connect with me in the Facebook group very active in both places and would love to chat and if you want to connect with me you can find me at shoeless patch on both facebook and twitter be sure to tag me in any comments so that i'll be notified and not miss you once again thank you for listening we'll be back soon until then stay positive and keep feeling filmed